RCID's first installment of a series designed to help new agents in the commercial brokerage arena. Uh, basically, you don't know what you don't know, and we want to help folks know what they need to know to be effective and you know cover some of the best practices. Today, I have Mike Mito, 2023 CID president. Myself, my name is Ryan Pierce, 2020 CID president. Take it away, Mike. All right, Ryan. Thank you. So the first step we're going to look at today is as a tenant rep. And so we're representing somebody that's looking to be the end user of a space and they're going to want a lease space. And so they're going to have certain criteria that they're looking at in order to determine where the best place is to have that space. And that's known as site selection. Yes. So it's pretty important to know the items of each discipline that will make the difference in being effective in securing that location. Uh, for instance, in retail, there are, you know, for national tenants, you can usually go on their website. You can look up their site selection criteria. You never want to send a site to a national tenant and it doesn't really check off. Uh, I think the best example I can think of in recent times was all those rumors about Trader Joe's coming to Mandeville. Well, as much as those folks on the North Shore would love, I'm a North Shore resident, would love to have a Trader Joe's, it just doesn't work because the population isn't there. So, you know, market criteria for those, a lot of tenants, you need to know the demographics, population count, age, income, you know, traffic counts, that type of stuff when it comes to a, a site. Um, you know, if you're dealing with a mom and pop, maybe not going to be as crucial. But uh, what is going to be crucial for just about any tenant that comes to mind on a multi-tenant retail space is co-tenancy. And, you know, usually you can't have multiple of the same type of concept in a center. Um, Mike, you have any experience of dealing with some co-tenancy issues? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different situations where these kinds of things can come up, right? So right. In, a, in a plaza, you're not going to want to have every place be a restaurant or you don't want them to all be the same kind of restaurant. Right. You know, a lot of these just you say it's like a strip center type thing. It might be anchored by a dollar general. So they're probably not going to want to have a similar store that comes in there that, has, Definitely not. that sells similar things. Right to that um there's other things for whatever reason they just might you know there yeah. can there can just be uses that would be in conflict with each other right yeah the dollar general i've actually handled a, a strip center that's dollar general anchored and they have a pretty explicit uh exclusion prohibited uses from their you know co-tenancy that's definitely a good example of it um you know, COVID, it seemed like everyone that was a restaurant and even some non-restaurant types of businesses wanted drive-throughs. Um, you know, a property that has an end cap on it that doesn't already have a drive-through may appear to be able to have a drive-through, but, you know, you need to see if that's going to be possible. And that 
that can be determined on whether or not the municipal governing authority says you can, you might need traffic studies and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I know in certain markets, if it ain't there, you ain't going to get it. So yeah, yeah. that brings up one of the things that's a little bit further down here, which is go comes with zoning. Right? right. And so, and one of the things, especially that I know that I've dealt with a lot in Orleans parish is that they, they loosened it up some during the COVID time, but there was not a lot of areas where drive-throughs were permitted. There's been multiple different deals that have been killed for one way or the other because they didn't allow that variance to happen. Right. So that's a huge consideration. On the first part, market criteria, demographics, population count, age, income, where would you go to find that information? That's an excellent question. Um, it depends on what tools you already have. Say you're a Nomar CID freshly minted agent and you have your LACDB account. Um, I believe you can get some of that information through the RPR if I'm not mistaken. I don't really use that that much, but I know LACDB just in the regular version, you can get some of those market stats. Um, yeah. RPR does allow you to create a presentation type thing. You can look into it. So it's been a little while since I've done it, but there's some different reports that you can pull right. down from there. Uh, site to do business if you're paying that CCIM uh, fee every year, or you know maybe you can just borrow someone's account or ask them to run you some reports, whatever's uh, you know whatever's easiest. But right. that one's definitely I'd say the gold standard when it comes to the demographic market info. info. But I mean, there's also free resources out there too. Just gotta Google it. Yeah. So it's going to be a matter of, and that's one of the things looking down here a little bit, it says traffic counts. And I remember there are some places where you can get, and we're sort of built into whatever the proprietary data is that they have, but you can also get traffic counts from LDOT, like Louisiana. Or LA. was it DTOD or whatever? It's the, the department, Louisiana Department of Transportation. Transportation. You can yeah. go in there and you can get some traffic counts, but it's all, mostly, it's all on the state and larger roadways. You can't right. get it for Within Orleans, you know, some of the busier streets in there, if you're looking at something like that, you have to try to right. find something that has some more thorough information. Yeah. And definitely, uh, if that's, that's something for, I would say a lot of franchises, they need to have a, a certain traffic count that they need to hit or else they're not even going to look at a space. But another thing, you know, the physical needs, a lot of the, a lot of that stuff in retail, if it's second generation space, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be turnkey for every tenant or most tenants. So, if you're trying to find something turnkey, you got to be really tuned in to what specifically those people are needing. Um, you know, restaurants, perfect example. Vent hoods really expensive to install you know it's a couple hundred bucks per cubic square foot grease traps right. um you know if there's a grease trap there is the slab a post-tension slab because you can't just cut into it um you might have to x-ray it or at certain points things become cost prohibitive right. um what's another one that you know the, might come to play for a, a retailer um you know, when, if you're an inline space that's kind of tucked off, you know, 
they might say no to a space because of visibility or, yeah. uh, you know. I think visibility could be a huge one, right? Right. That sort of ties in with traffic counts. And traffic counts in the retail section might not just be vehicle traffic counts. Right. It might be foot traffic. When we look at things along Magazine Street and some of these other commercial retail corridors in New Orleans, one of the big things is foot traffic. Right. How many people are just going to be walking by? And that's why in places like the French Quarter, those are some of the highest rates in the city as far as leases go because of the amount of people that are just traveling through that area. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, we also touched on zoning and it's always interesting. I think the one that gives me more, uh, heartburn than any is the C1 with CPZ overlay because of its ambiguity. How ambiguous it is, and it's not like Orleans Parish, when you can just go to their website and it'll say yes, it's a permitted use, right. or it's a conditional use. It's pretty easy to you know determine on the front end if you know someone's looking to do a, a perfect example on a property. Everyone wanted to put a event hall there, but because of its zoning as a conditional use and you basically were guaranteed not to get that conditional use for this property because it butted up to residential. So, you know, you might save yourself a whole lot of time just by determining whether or not that zoning is going to be good for, if it's going to work for your client. So you don't go through the, the exercise that you don't need to type of thing. Yeah. And event halls are actually a pretty tough one. Having worked with some folks to try to find spaces for it, they're, uh, and I guess that the issue with that has to do with what they expect to be the volume of vehicles and traffic set within a short period of time. Right. Which is why they wouldn't want to have it close to the residential neighborhood. But I've been surprised that even in, you know, a lot of the commercial areas, you can't have an event hall. So I don't remember the exact zoning off the top of my head, but it's a pretty specific one. Right. Yeah. It's, well, it's a tough business anyway. And I know it's not always the easiest thing to get a, a landlord to agree to. So there's, there's many, many uh, things we could talk about on that, but uh, probably not for today. Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. What else we, we can come up with when it's uh, retail site selection? Um, retail. So you kind of you mentioned some of the things. So they talk about demographics. Why would demographics be of interest when you're looking for a retail site? Well, back to Trader Joe's, one of theirs was they had to have – a population that was between a certain age, I want to say it was like 30 something to 50. So you, if you back into that, it's made, that's when people are in their peak earning years. So it's also had to also when they have kids and all those other kinds of things. Right. And going to be buying groceries. Right. And another, they said, we have to have this many people with this level of education so it was like some college or college degree. I can't remember exactly. And the population needs to be this many people. And at the time when I was looking at that stuff and just was like, Trader Joe's ain't going there. There's not, they need 50,000 more people in whatever the three or five mile radius to even check off and consider that spot. So, Yeah. I remember thinking the same thing as people at one point were saying like there was going to get an IK or something like that. And I want to say they need to have like 
3 million people. I don't know what it is, but like millions of people within a certain drive time right. from the location. So it's like. Yeah, drive times in our market is such a interesting, I would say not the best metric. Uh, I think drive, I'm sorry, did I say drive time or radius? You say drive time. I think drive time, which is, is, is drive time is, is a more accurate, accurate yeah. one than radius. It's because here, if you do look at the radius, the whatever, one mile, five mile, 10 mile radius, you could be on the other side of the river. You could be yeah. halfway across the lake, you know, but if you look at the drive times, it makes, yeah, it's more in line with how people travel. Exactly. That's I, I transpose words. My bad. <laughs> Not a problem. But, uh, oh yeah. The, the, another thing is when we're talking about drive uh, traffic counts. So there's what's known as the going to work side of the road and the, the going to going home side of the road. Uh, I mean, depending on the type of retailer, I think more of this when uh, thinking about restaurants, drive throughs it's like Starbucks sure. is going to be on the going to work side. Yeah. Uh, I or think, they might be on every corner, but yeah, let's <laughs> <laughs> say, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, you that, you know, something with breakfast, uh, you know, heavy breakfast. Right. Um, and the bars are going to be on the going home side. Yeah. <laughs> or the, uh, uh, the pizza with the drive through, which is now something yeah, that sure. you see more of. So I think we got a bulk of what we need for retail. Okay. So those are, those would be our first steps. We're just looking to insight selection for a retail yeah. client. Yeah. Ask your ask the right questions to your client to make sure, you know, you're not going to have issues when you're just trying to cast that net and see what properties to present and try to make that list short. So you're not wasting time showing property that will never work. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, the key to all of these is going to be learn as much about your client as you can. Yes. But in retail, there's going to be, in all of these, there's going to be certain nuances for the information that's going to be most relevant to that person. Obviously, in retail, it's commonly a public-facing thing. Yeah, that makes it one of the so easiest. To visibility, those types of things, foot traffic, all this parking. These are all considerations for how do people get to your business? How do they find your business? How do they get into it? And how do they get out of it again? Right. Um, you know, for uh, industrial, I think this is one that uh, some folks can get tripped up on if they're not familiar um, or maybe not even worked in a warehouse before because you know, there's so many things to take into consideration uh, when you're doing an industrial search. You know, does your client have trucks? Do they take deliveries, what type of material is it, um, the power load that they're going to need, uh, are those trucks going to be, uh, where you're taking deliveries and you need a dock or are they going to be, you know, transloaded the old fashioned way where they have a, a lift that goes up and down, uh, from the truck? Will the, how big will the truck be? Will it be able to enter where you're going to get your loads or whatever? Uh, the electrical, like I said earlier, power load, that's going to be of utmost importance if you're not doing some distribution exclusively. If you're making stuff, yeah, you got to, if you have machines, you got to power, you need three phase or two going to cover it. 
Um, yeah, you can have a significant power need yeah. if you're in the manufacturing field. Right. It actually brought up one of the things that I just, which I hadn't necessarily thought of previously, but sort of in that industrial world, it seems like there's, I guess I'll, what I was thinking is maybe two main uses of those and either one is like it's either as a distribution facility right. where you're going to look at the all the, the doors the roll-up doors the height how much stuff you can store in there how easy is it to get vehicles in and out get them loaded and then the other side of the industrial thing is probably the manufacturing side where it's like a large-scale facility there might be a trucking aspect to that but the major part of it is going to be the manufacturing part of right it. or another one is uh uh you know climate control when you think of food services, because you might be processing the food, so you might have that power need, and then sure. you got to keep the the space cold. Right. Um, you know th that's going to be oh, that's going to involve both of those the power and definitely how you're going to distribute everything. So, and if you get into the really heavy industrial stuff, you know the the access to rail or potentially barge. Can come mm -hmm. into place definitely um i think one of the few places left in our market is like one spot in elmwood for uh, rail other it's like the old pepsi plant um might be one other or two but i know uh just about any place for barge is going to be out in the east i would think along the canals yeah i don't to be i don't honestly know i know there are some areas that are out there Gotcha. How that, but I, you know, if you look at some of these and if you travel around, you can look at some of these older industrial facilities and places where the rail lines go and back right up to the facilities. And right. That type the, of thing. Yeah. The spur, they have the, the truck come on, load it, take it off right there at their site. And that still happens a lot in sort of that um, bulk transit agricultural right. world, it seems like. Yeah. And one thing I always like to ask about again is uh do you need yard because if you need yard you're probably not going to find a lot of stuff and a lot of sites in the elmwood area where you know it's basically that ten thousand square foot warehouse with 200 square feet of office and a little bit of area to receive well i mean i just in in general it just seems to me you know the the truth of it is new orleans itself is not great for industrial well I'd say it's yes and no. It depends. <laughs> it's well, it, it's because if, if part of it, especially, I guess if I'm thinking like, especially on the distribution side of things, like we, we have the river and that type of thing, but there's a lot of challenges as far as getting in and out. I think, I feel like things along the I-12 corridor on the other side of the lake are probably better overall oh, yeah. as far as accessibility goes. If we're talking about access to the rest of the country. Yeah. If you're needing a massive laydown yard and, close proximity to the confluences of two interstate systems. Right. I mean, you got the Hammond market and you have that East St. Tammany market that have both of those in spades. Like that's where I'm seeing new stuff right. being built. Basically there's no space in new Orleans really for much. And there's some stuff out in the East, but it's, you know, I was just driving up the East coast and you would go by these places where they're building a million square feet on spec, you know, around Harrisburg, Pennsylvania or something like that. But that goes back to the site selection and like how many people live within 
a three right. a three hour radius of that place. You know, right. it's, it's millions and millions of folks. Right, for sure. And you know, there's some other items when it comes to the construction of those buildings. You know, the the metal building is going to be a lot cheaper, obviously, than the concrete tilt up, which you can see rental rates in those that are almost comparable to like office or retail sometimes. Right. Um, That's been a recent phenomenon though, for the, in the last yeah, couple of years, I want to say. For sure. And, you know, this is definitely one of those where the zoning is going to play a very key role in what the intended use for the end user is. Cause I think a perfect example is what was it back in 2015, 16, when the zoning was overhauled in Orleans Parish and everything, almost everything got downgraded a level. Right. And I was selling a warehouse on Conti Street that went from like light industrial one to historic urban mixed use or something like that. And without an operating business in there, it couldn't have a non-conforming use going forward. You couldn't maintain the old zoning of the light industrial. Right. And it had these examples of basically magazine street in the zoning for what was supposed to be on this part of Conti street. Right. <laughs> it was amazing what the person bought it the day before the zoning was going to be actually like rolled out. So they could have a non-conforming use for their cab stand, I believe. So it was uh, oh, that little warehouse. That's up there. It was like seven thousand ish square feet, if I remember correctly. But gotcha. yeah, that that guy wouldn't have been able to do that use if he had waited another day. Right. So again, another reason why zoning is important. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's been one of the things that I've seen a lot in Orleans Parish, specifically a lot of what had been, and you may, you know, you straight up see it in the warehouse district where these were previously industrial properties that were related to the business of the river and everything else like right. that, that they became more valuable as a conversion to something else than they did as warehouse space. Right. Basically. Yeah, that's just the evolution of something being functionally obsolete. And, you know, it's got exposed brick. Now it's cool. <laughs> it is turn, cool. Turn it into condos. Yeah, for sure. Um, we got some other things here. So what can you tell us about three-phase electrical? Uh, I know that if you're going to be working with any machinery, or your client, for that matter, working with any amount of machinery that's got, you know, any practical industrial use, you're probably going to have to have three phase, two phase ain't going to cut it. Right. Uh, you'll, and that's just as a matter of being able to have heavier loads right. on it. That's definitely a question to ask your client when you're saying, how many docks do you need? How many docks, if you need dock higher, uh, you know, grade level doors, or do you need a truck? Well, do you need three phase or is two phase? Okay. Um, right. Another thing is the eaves height and whether or not clear span. Yeah, I was going to ask about that one. So why I mean, is that important in industrial? <laughs> well, it has to do with the fact that you need to store something up to so high right. or 
like if you're going to have machinery <clears throat> and you need clear span, you're not going to be able to take something that's got columns every 16 feet or whatever. Um, so that's where that can come into play. So it's, again, it's going to tie into what the business is. Right. So know as much as you can about what your client actually does. Exactly. And what their needs are. Exactly. Uh, floor low capacity is another thing that just came to mind. Um, a few years ago, the uh, London's precious metal, the London Precious Metal Exchange, used to allow storage on the east bank of Jefferson, Orleans, and I can't remember if it went to Saint Bernard. They don't do it anymore. But if you were if you were uh, storing those metals, and they stored a lot of them. If that floor didn't have a certain floor load capacity, there was there were problems for the the slabs on those buildings. So that was always something uh, you know you had to take into consideration if you were leasing to someone that was dealing with the metals exchange. Right. But that that can go for any anything for the equipment if you're going to have a lot of equipment. Yeah, definitely. Again, that goes to the yard and all those other kinds of things as far as what can be stored internally, what needs to be stored externally. Exactly. All right. Any other things on industrial? Yeah. Take us on to the next segment. <laughs> all right. Moving on to office. So we're now we're representing somebody that's looking for office space. You do? You got someone, people looking for office these days? <laughs> not, not in the downtown core. I'm just looking for a place that's close to my home so I get out of the house every little while. Gotcha, gotcha. But that is, that is an important point because, you know, I looked at the downtown office and downtown core offices are having issues kind of across the country and the rates that they're getting are lower than the suburban office space. So what is yeah. the difference between the suburban and the... So I guess think of tower office towers versus cottages mm -hmm. or, you know, other type of smaller low rise garden type. Yeah. Thing. It's probably not going to be more than two stories. Right. Um, you know, our downtown is based or downtown office is almost all on Poitras and then some adjacent streets versus, you know, what you would see in like Boshin in uh mandeville or the oh gosh north park in covington mm -hmm. um you know in boshin you have those office cottages that look like almost houses right and that's going to be a lot different setup than you know what you might see in north park even though it's still uh what i would consider consider suburban office However, it would fall under that class A because it's over 100,000 square feet over there. And they're going to have some of the same type of amenities. It's almost like a hybrid of suburban and, uh, you know, the class A office tower over there at North Park. Um, right. I mean, there's a lot of different things on how those are managed and operated and how they affect the tenancy for the users. Um, so, I mean, it's important to know what, 
your client's business needs are for the office, one thing, because a lot of it seems like they want to be as close to their workforce as possible if they can. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how is parking going to be treated? Because if you're an office tower, generally you get so many spaces per tower, many square feet. And then everything else you have to rent. Right. And, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month on that for a parking space, you know, the, the security of a building, uh, how is that treated? You know, if you're in an office tower, probably going to have your janitorial included to some effect and probably not going to have your utilities included. And if you're in an office tower, they normally shut off the HVAC or the, the air conditioning on the hours that are primary operating hours. Yeah, I was going to say this. So this brings up it's kind of the gross lease versus the net lease scenario. Right. So most of the things when I've looked at the downtown office towers, most of them are full service where the rate that you pay includes all these other things because you can't, it's very hard to just turn the AC on right. in one office space in a 30-story building. Right. right. So the AC is going to be on generally from the working hours for the thing, eight to five, whatever, six, whatever it is. Yeah. And you can get it on some of them on the off days, but you literally have to pay for that entire floor, whatever it's, it might be. Yeah. So it's usually cost prohibitive. And it's so the hours that the person is going to planning to be working is important in that sense. And then the flip side of that is some of the single tenant spaces that type of thing well those might be more of a net lease situation right where you have your net charges that are coming in because it is just for that space that it's dedicated to right yeah that's kind of gets down into the amenities and needs of what an office user is going to want so i mean are they going to have people that are coming in on the weekend uh you know Probably going to be you're probably going to want to look at a building that might not be an office tower if it's a regular occurrence sure. or you know if they don't want to just pay for parking <laughs> type of thing. Um, yeah, and like a prime example for that is just like just say as a two different office users. So let's say one office is a residential realtor's office. Right. It might be very busy. On the weekends. On the weekends. And they're going to want to have some parking and have ability to do that. The other aspect of that, though, is they're also going to want to be somewhat public-facing where they have some visibility, whereas somebody that might be an accountant, they don't necessarily – maybe they want that, you know, if they do tax returns and all these other things, but maybe they don't necessarily need that and they're happy to have – They're a destination. They don't need visibility. Just have an office in in the tower and that type of thing. Or maybe it's a medical-related where – being discreet and not visible is going to be more ideal for their patients. Sure. Type of thing. Um, Yeah. So there's also, it comes to mind that in recent years that the, the whole co-share of, I want to stop working in my kitchen, but I don't want to have all the, the, the burdens of having a, a lease for a, a whole office and I need some flexibility. I mean, that, that co-share arena has really been an interesting one. It seems like that's that stepping stone to going and getting your own, uh, I would say traditional lease for an office versus, you know, just, uh, working from home. 
you had much experience or seen the same thing? Well, of course, it's interesting on the uh, the co-working spaces and all that, right? Because it seemed like they were suddenly everywhere. And then we had a pandemic, you know, <laughs> the open I, concept. So it was like so every, everybody wanted it and it was great. And like I went to the shop at the CAC and it was a it's beautiful cool space. space. Yeah, it was a beautiful space. They had cold brew and cold beer and everything yeah. on tap there. And, you know, and they had those booths where you could go and take private phone calls. So if I remember correctly. Yeah. And so you could, and it was one of those places where you could pay, I think it was like a monthly membership to have access to the space, or you could get like a little private office that was there and right. have access to it. And so it was a very, and it was really well done. It was a very nicely designed space and everything like that. And then unfortunately for a lot of these places, I think like a lot of just office in general, they suffered greatly because all of a sudden it was like, no, that's the exact opposite right. of what we're looking at. I think we're starting to get back to that model because of sort of the shared services concept and what you're talking about, especially when we're looking at inflationary concerns and all these types of things where if I, if I have my little business starting up and I just want a space, but I also you know, like, what's it going to cost me to rent the whole space on by myself and pay all the net charges and pay the utilities and everything versus sharing some of those costs while I get up and running. Plus you get to have a swanky looking building and more often not a cool address. Yeah. So that's, card. that's, I mean, that's part of it, right? So it's, you have, you have sort of more amenities and more access to things than you would if you were trying to do all these things independently and right. sort of tying into that, I think we're also sort of on the developmental side, we were looking at sort of the live work play model right. as far as developments went. And so some of these spaces and some of the newer ones, I want to say downtown that they did have spaces that were kind of built out to be co-working spaces within the complexes themselves. Right. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's going to come back. I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. The other thing is some of these places were like propeller and I don't even know what's going on with that, but some of these places that were sort of incubators, right? right? So the idea is like, I'm doing this and maybe I'm working in the technological world or working in engineering or doing something like that. But I want to be in a space where there's other creative people that can sort of, help me push my vision along or whatever just that it's fertile ground for coming up with new ideas and that type of thing and you know i think that that was one of the interests especially in sort of the diy and maker aspects of things yeah i mean it's just office has so much variety to it in comparison to i'd say the the retail where it's usually pretty rigid on site selection you got this type of asset where there's so many different hybrids of the type of property and the type of user. And it can just be a very, very wide array because, you know, an office tower with, uh, you know, professional services and versus like a medical building where a a doctor is probably going to need a whole bunch of small rooms for, uh, meeting with patients and going to be required to have plumbing and all sorts of other things that that specific use will be guiding the space that you want to look at. So it, it's need to know a lot about the client's business to start whittling down on what type of asset or what type of office space to go at and seek out. Yeah, I think like one of the things for me whenever I'm working with an office client is really that first question of like, 
is it better for you to have something that's standalone or is it better for right. you to be in an office tower? You know, and then once you get that figured out, then start powering it down from there. Right. You know, you know how many employees are they going to need private rooms or not? Uh, I mean, it seems like how much interaction with the public are you going to do? Right. What are your hours going to be? Exactly. Yeah. I guess that's a good place to take, take a pause. Yeah. Anything else on site selection on these things you think of? No, not for me. All right.